Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC prelims card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow fight analysts Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Bloody Elbow Podcasts are proud to be sponsored by RevGear. They've been a pioneer in the industry and have grown into a formidable brand and true leader in the MMA gear market. Bloody Elbow listeners get 20% off. Go to RevGear.com slash Bloody Elbow email sign up. And we're back with more of the MMA vivisection with me, your host, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebus. That's right, Zane. <laughs> and what a beautiful day it is to be talking about these preliminary fights. Just just a spectacular day out here today. Weather's great over the 405. <laughs> <laughs> For all now, you people on your way to work today, he's a little now, light rock. <laughs> Steely Dan with Hey 19. <laughs> Anyway, anyway UFC we're here. 295. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about UFC 295, talking about the prelim cards right now. Uh, fight, of course, headlined by a light heavyweight title fight between Yuri Prashaska and Alex Pereira, alongside a heavyweight title fight between Sergei Pavlovich and Tom Aspinall, or an interim heavyweight title fight, I should say. And we're looking at the prelims with a featured prelim between Steve Erceg and Alessandro Costa. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ersig's a little—he's a bit of a weird case for me because who's that? Ersig. I was very impressed with Ersig. I was impressed with him too, but like, I don't know. I, and I should be more impressed because like I didn't really think that his regional MMA was all that great. Neither of us did. Neither of us did. And so both, for him... We both to, picked Dvorak, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so for him to come and blow the doors off Dvorak the way he did, it is impressive. But people were also talking about him like he looked like a, a you know, future champion out there. And I'm like, I... I still can't. I can't help feeling like Dvorak just didn't ask any of the right questions. Yeah, you know that was part of it. I mean, I think what we saw is that um, he is actually a very strike, a uh, very sharp and um, thoughtful and technical striker. Mm-hmm. When given a fight where he is just allowed to pressure the entire time. Yeah. I think that and, was probably the fundamental error that uh, I think it's Dvorak. Actually, I always want to yeah. say Dvorak. I think that's the fundamental error that Dvorak committed is that he just let him walk him down the whole time. And Ersek's mm-hmm. good at it. Like, yeah, that is what we 
saw honestly probably fighters in his regional scene who just had less confidence in their ability to fight off the back foot just didn't let him do it that much yeah and were a lot more sort of unpredictable as a result being allowed to come forward we saw that he's has a really keen understanding of how to cut off the cage and how to position himself relative to his opponent that he's really threatening with his jab and uses that to to keep a hold of that initiative with it with a healthy diet of feints and that he's a really quite good aggressive counter puncher too mm-hmm. um that he can come in and he was able to come in and like trigger Dvorak into throwing something with the jab or with the feint and then come back on him with a combination um and you know it was hitting the body is is uh, he looked really sharp to me i was yeah. very impressed he did. But it's I think tu- it is tough to square that with our original impression of him, right? Yeah. I, I think it is also notable, too, just like I'm always a little taken by this, cause it. Because it is one of the things that doesn't show up well on tape. Mm-hmm. Is that he is a pretty big flyweight, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, five foot eight. That's about. We've seen uh, th- there have been some five nine guys. There might have even been a five ten flyweight out there, but five eight five nine is really about the limit. Yeah, and Dvorak, Dvorak is not a small flyweight himself. No, but he's five five. Yeah, and Alessandro Costa is five four. Yeah, and. That that has to be taken into consideration when your style is all about pressuring and grappling. Mm-hmm. Like those are places where being big can really be a help. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's a help everywhere if we're if we're being absolutely real. yeah. Being big is an advantage. That's why weight classes exist. Yeah. Um. And uh, and and frame not always governed by weight, but uh, is an advantage in the same way that just being bigger. And uh, I'll tell you what, I mean, I do look at Costa and see that this is a man who uh, is certainly susceptible to being jabbed. I do really question because uh, he said he likes to pressure, mm-hmm. although I wouldn't say he is as comprehensive a pressure fighter as Ursig proved to be. No, he's, he's much not... more of a bullying wild man. Yeah, not really a cage cutter. Like, that was one of the most impressive things to me is that, like, like in the second round of uh, Ursig's fight with Dvorak, that when he, he hurt him with that uh, liver shot right straight combo, and then with a head kick right after that. And he stayed on him, but he didn't get overexcited. He did not devolve to chasing mm-hmm. as Dvorak was, was just forced to run away. He chased him a little bit, and he was like, oh, okay, he's getting out. And he just switched right back to these loping side steps just to cut him off and put him right back in the in the danger zone. This is not the kind of uh, skill that Costa has. No, he can find good shots. Um, he can set up takedowns well. Uh, he does hit the body. It's not like he's out there not making any good decisions. Mm-mm. But he is not like a strategic pressure fighter. No, he's a bully, like you said. And I do wonder if, if because of that, because he is willing to go on the back foot, he can be forced to give up his pressure if he is going to get to pressure Ursink. And if he doesn't, is he not just going to lose? Yeah. To the bigger guy who, when he's just stuck on the end of his reach. That's kind of my feeling. 
uh, that's kind of the direction I'm leaning here. Yeah, it is hard. It's hard to ignore that. Part of me wants to feel like Costa is going to be more aggressive, more willing to get in Earthig's face and make him pay for his own back foot weaknesses and just be able to compete with him athletically in a way where, you know, not that Dvorak isn't able to compete with people athletically, but potentially be stronger enough or faster enough than Erseg that he could actually, you know, make it difficult on Erseg, where mm-hmm. Dvorak could really only match Erseg's own level of athleticism while being the smaller man. So I do worry about some of that. Yeah. But... Yeah, I, I should really be leaning on Ersig for the for his size and his pressure ability. Yeah. That's what it feels like. Big, tall, long guy who is a genuinely good, thoughtful pressure fighter is just a tough thing to deal with. Yeah. Uh, and the and, takedowns are going to be much harder to come by if he can keep Costa from, from backing him up. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, Ursa looked like he hit a new level of uh, of confidence and and poise. He was just on top of every single exchange in that Dvorak fight. It was, yeah, Costa's Costa's power kicking could be a big trouble, big problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ursa did get a a bright red calf very quickly into the Dvorak fight. Yeah, and I think that Costa kicks a lot harder than Dvorak probably. I would I would guess so. Um. So it is worth watching out for. Mm-hmm. But we also saw Costa fight Albazi, mm-hmm. where Albazi got to come forward a lot. If I'm remembering that properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Costa couldn't handle it that well. Yep. And Albazi's so. a, a decently sized flyweight. He's not small, but... He's not super long. He barely had a yeah. reach advantage, but just being able to fight long yeah, uh, and using his jab and using his feints, he, he was able to keep Costa very passive. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm counting on Urseg to kind of shut Costa out of the kind of fight he wins. Feels likely. It'll be interesting to see how, how he goes and what, where, where, if anywhere, Urseg ends up hitting the kind of fighter that can potentially open up some of the problems we saw for him on the regional door. He's just really improved his game that much, you know, mm-hmm. it does happen. Some sure. fighter, it, it may be MMA, but some fighters do actually get better. Yeah. Yeah. And he was like a pretty inexperienced fighter when he got to the UFC. He had a basically just like a pretty standard, like maybe a prospect kind of record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe he just turned a corner. Yep. But how old is he? He's 28. Mm-hmm. Sure. Coming into his own. All right. Odds on the fight. Erisig is a sizable favorite. Opened at minus 163. Currently minus 189. Coast opened at plus 146. Currently up at plus 167. That brings us to a woman's strawweight bout. Tabitha Ricci. 
Lupi Godinez, and I have a sneaking suspicion about this fight. Mm. That it is two very solid prospects I like who are going to put on absolutely miserable fight. Mm. Love those. Yeah. Why? Why do you feel that way? I, I'm not saying I disagree. I don't think. I don't think Godinez is going to want to wrestle with Tabitha Ricci and grapple with her mm-hmm. on the ground. And I don't think that Ricci is going to be able to take Godinez down and keep her down all that well. Mm-hmm. So I think they're going to be stuck having a kickboxing bout the whole time. Where Ricci is a little more powerful, I would say, but also very one and done. Mm-hmm. And Godinez is l- learning how to have yeah. a functional version of the boxing game she wants. But it's not a comfortable fit when it's all she has to rely on still. Yeah, we've already seen that in multiple fights, one of which she lost. Yeah. Um, earlier on, and we've seen her improve. Yeah. As a boxer, but I, I agree. I think she still looks kind of uncomfortable. She t- still tends to start quite slow. Yeah. Or takes a while to kind of warm up and get a feel for her range. Mm-hmm. She can still get pretty wild when she actually has to put a combination out there. Um, yeah. And she just runs out of ideas, too. She doesn't select her targets all that carefully. <clears throat> all that carefully mm-hmm. and she doesn't really have a great sense of like setting up complex combinations. No. So she gets tracked in on the same couple of like one twos and stuff like that. And it's fine. But if her opponent, you know, if it's not working all that well with her opponent, there's not really a second thing to go to if her wrestling game isn't also there. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I just kind of think we've seen several fights where Godinez doesn't really ever get to her grappling or her wrestling game. And those fights don't tend to be all that great. And she's lost a few of them. And the ones that she's lost tend to be against, well, I mean, I was going to say against fighters who throw more and are willing to be busy in a way that Tabitha Ricci is not necessarily. But there is Jessica Penne in there. Mm-hmm. And Jessica Penne is not a good striker at all. And we can talk about, oh, you know, I think Lupi Godinez has improved since then. That was only two years ago. Mm-hmm. Was, she's fought a lot since then. And I think she has been improving, but I still think most of her attempts to improve, like she's just kind of, she's, she's very much a fighter throwing herself back into camp over and over again, mm-hmm. it seems. And it makes me wonder um, just how much targeted improvement she's going to ever be doing, you know? 
Yeah. One thing I will say, which is a slightly good sign, I think, for Loopy, is that those uh, least compelling striking performances, fights in which she can't effectively out-wrestle somebody and therefore um, basically gets like stuck in a striking match, the ones where she doesn't look good or even loses, the common factor does seem to be that the women are taller than her. This is true. I think this is really a thing that makes her uncomfortable. Um, because like, as you said, she, she's not a great technical striker. She doesn't really have, um, or very comfortable in general. She doesn't really have this idea of like, um, using her feints, using her like sort of wedges, her jabs and Mm -hmm. long kicks and stuff to kind of like buy a tempo, get herself into range. Like uh, she's either in mutual range and she's kind of good there. Or she's against somebody that she has to work her way in, and she she looks like she's kind of guessing and making it up as she goes along. And Richie is not taller than her. She's actually shorter. Oh, they're actually the same height. I think uh, Tapology said she's an inch shorter. Okay. Wiki says the same height, but Tapology... I I definitely felt like Richie was shorter, so... I mean, it... Who knows? So yeah. so many times we see a fighter's height and then we see them against their opponent. We're like, those numbers are wrong. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Tapology says 5-1 for Ricci and 5-2 for Lupi. Um, all I'll say is that being a, albeit powerful, but a one and done uh, kind of power puncher, but in a kind of matchup where Godinez can just uncork combinations and hit you at the same time. I think mm-hmm. it's going to make her a lot more comfortable actually putting some pressure on Ricci. Yeah, I'm I'm still picking Godinez at the end of the day here. But, you know, like I say, I, I'm, pre- I preface, I'm prefacing this more like I just think this fight is not going to be very good. Yeah, I think it could be a mutually awkward kind of stinker. Yeah, I think it could be one where Godinez is, you know, getting to the edge of range, maybe putting out a one-two and getting hit hard in return and then getting back out of range then getting into range and putting out a one, two, maybe getting hit hard in return and getting, you know, just over and over again, that same kind of Mm -hmm. tag fight. Yeah. How remind me, how was her fight with the Calvillo? Cause Calvillo loves having, loves having that fight. Yeah. Yeah. You can definitely see this being like a repeat of that kind of, that that's exactly the kind of fight I'm thinking here where Mm -hmm. like against Calvillo, Calvillo actually outlanded Godinez 104 to 87 in that fight. You make it sound like a pretty good fight with those numbers. Uh, it, it, I know what you it, mean. It's a kind it, of fight. The, it's like uh, Felice Herrig versus. Um, oh God, who was it? Oh, I, I, it, it is. It's the bad women's fight. <laughs> Let's uh, be honest. Was it the Russian woman? I don't remember. I don't remember. W- was it uh, Kish, Justine Kish, or Paige Van Zant? I. Courtney I, I think it was Casey. Okay. It's just, it's, you know, th- this is, it's the kind of fight where you get the same exchange over and over again. And so even yeah. if like, there's a reasonably high level of action, you find yourself getting frustrated watching it. You're like, why is nobody like pulling ahead? Yeah. And in the, or even in the, making an effort to pull ahead. 
in the in the point of the Calvillo uh, matchup for this, or, you know, for uh, Godinez. Godinez was the power puncher in that one, and Calvillo right. was the high output, light fisted one. Yeah. And like I say, I think Ricci might actually be a little bit more of a power puncher than uh, Godinez. I think she has, at the very least, I think she has a little bit more confidence in just sitting down on a strike. Yeah, she's and, quicker too. She's she's pretty explosive. Yeah. So yeah, I'm gonna pick Lupi Godinez, but I just have a feeling this is gonna be awkward. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that now. That's same it. same exchange over and over kind of fight. Yep. Sounds about right. Ricci opened at plus 147. That's where she stayed. She's gone up and down a little, but still right back at 147. Godinez opened at minus 165 and also still right back at minus 165. So odds holding a slight favorite for Lupi Godinez. I think it makes sense. Like I said, it's kind of weird because I like both these fighters. I think they're both working on good things for Mm -hmm. somebody like Ricci, who was a very good, uh, you know, was a very good grappler. Mm -hmm. Her being willing and able to just like, I'm going to sit down on a power striking game. Like that's a good move, you Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. don't be shy about it. Get out there and hit people. And for Godinez, I think she's doing a way better job of finding the balance that Cynthia Calvillo struggled so hard to find Mm -hmm. of being a a boxer who is actually willing to pressure and put out volume and be on the front foot and getting better training, too. She's at Lobo Gym, which uh, I He's been doing a pretty good things with a few people. So, oh, that's Grasso, yeah. Grasso, yeah. She, she, they were, they trained together ahead of the last time they shared a card. Yeah. So you know, she's getting. We know she's getting some solid boxing training there. Mm-hmm. Um. So I like both of what they're doing. I just think we're they're meeting at a point where they have games that still, yeah, are just in development. Yeah, I agree. And both require and both rely and work both work best when they can be the dominant grappler. Yes. You know. Doesn't help they're both built built by like fire hydrants too, you know. Mm-hmm. Maybe if Godinez were had the Rose Nama Eunice build, Tabitha Ricci would go out there and try to and like really be able to take her down and get we'd get some fun scrambles out of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But I just get the feeling that both of them are gonna be immobile. When yeah, like to, like Richie's fight with Jillian Robertson. Yeah, was one where she just couldn't easily out grapple her. She got some yep. takedowns off, but it didn't lead to anything. And then the saving grace is that she Robertson. was just a way more comfortable striker than Robertson. Yeah. I don't think there's going to be that gulf here. Exactly. Yeah. All right, that brings us to a lightweight bout: Mateusz Rybicki. Against Roosevelt Roberts, your boy is back, Connor. Yeah. Do I have to be saddled with Roosevelt Roberts being my boy forever? Yep. <laughs> that works. <laughs> you once, once you utter, you know I kind of like. <laughs> that's it. 
They are locked down. You are the guy that likes that guy. <laughs> the Roosevelt Connor, the Roosevelt Roberts appreciator, Rebush. Oh, no, 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 no. Connor, the Roosevelt Roberts respecter, Rebush. <laughs> yeah. Probably yeah. possibly the best Roosevelt to ever come out of this country. That would be. Um, well, I guess it depends on how you're weighting it, really. Least war crimes committed, 100%. Most national parks established, he's actually dead last. Yeah, really dead oh. last. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he'll get there. <laughs> uh, there's a Yellowstone out there just waiting for Roosevelt Roberts to, uh, to, to smash a champagne bottle on the sign. <laughs> Um, literally a yellow stone outside of (laughs) (laughs) just a lump of rock might actually be the curb. (laughs) (laughs) It's got his house address painted on it. So, um, yeah, I mean, what is wrong with Roosevelt Roberts? He's not strong. He's just, yeah, he just gets overpowered. Doesn't he? Like he's, he's sort of in a similar position to, um, to the dearly departed um, guy whose name I'm forgetting, not that dear apparently, uh, who was barking like a dog the other weekend. Oh yeah, yeah Mike Breeden. Like Mike Breeden. Like, I thought it was somebody that actually died, and you were being ridiculously insensitive. No, but no, 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 no. You can be I'm as insensitive a, as you. A normal level of insensitive. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but like another guy, Roosevelt Roberts, like has a bunch of cool, slick ideas. Yep. He wants to go out there and be a fully all-terrain, well-rounded MMA fighter. And I think he has a lot of the skills necessary to do that. But then, like, he's, it's weird that he gets overpowered the way he doesn't look that willowy or weak. He's six foot one, so. He's just, and he's not super durable. He's not super strong. He just doesn't have, like, the overall toughness, it seems, he would need. He's really thin. I think part of the thing, too, is that he's really thin through the shoulders and hips. So it really, even though, like, you know, it seems like he seems proportioned reasonably, he's uh, got a pretty actually thin frame, you know? Yeah, is just not carrying a lot of weight on any part of his frame. Yeah, but then that doesn't fully explain him just getting like instantly decked by Kevin Kroom. You know, it's just yeah. he, he just doesn't have any of the same like the benchmarks of toughness. Yeah. Um, and nor does he have the backup that Mike Breeden has, which is like insane tenacity and fearlessness, like. He doesn't want to have a fight where he can't do all the cool slick stuff. Mm-hmm. He can't break out of that. I'm not sure he has the relevant physicality to be able to break out of it, but he also just doesn't have the aggressive kind of skill set. He's not a combination puncher, really. Um, it, what he really wants to do is like sort of like a um, a uh, uh, God. I'm forgetting literally everybody's names today. Mm-hmm. Who was the heavyweight cop who, who got murdered four Chris times in Dark a row? House. Yeah, he's like Kyle Dawkins a bit. Like, what he wants to do Chris is go Dark out there. House. 
Kyle Dacas was the other brother that. Yeah, that's why I was. Okay. I, yeah, yeah. I was trying to think of the younger brother yeah. by way of the guy who oh, was easier, yeah, yeah, yeah. easier to designate. Yeah. Uh, if I just said middleweight, who's not particularly good at everything, but is kind of does everything, it wouldn't have been specific. That enough, would have been say. really every middleweight on there. <laughs> exactly. That's why I knew heavyweight cop was a quick grab. He he wants to do like Kyle Dawkins, like put put enough pressure on you, put enough strikes on you to like get into some cool clinch takedown situation. Like he wants to be out there blending. Yeah, he also really would like to be a sniper when he's yeah. on on the feet yeah and does not have the retreating footwork for that that's so. another thing yeah he just gets caught in no man's land after a lot of punches he throws yeah or just he'll somebody will take a step forward and he'll take a step straight back and they'll just keep doing that until he's on the cage right you know yeah so yeah and i think a lot of that too has to be just getting to the ufc level and realizing suddenly that you're not that strong yeah. And then suddenly being like, oh, wow, I got to get away from people. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't be out there trying to just be slick. I have to be, you know, I have to be trying not to tie up with people and having better footwork would be a nice way to do that. But footwork is not just a magical thing that happens, you know. It isn't. No. No. Oh. Yeah, I mean, I'm even thinking of like his uh, his fight with Yakovlev or Yakovlev. Yeah, which is okay. like a yeah. yeah, which is an opponent like so passive that he was able to look slick. But there's still moments in that fight where it's like he just gets caught out. He just gets nailed on a counter. And if Yakovlev was a little more aggressive at all or put combinations mm-hmm. together on the counter, he might have just knocked Roosevelt out. Um, and he was able to overpower him in a lot of their clinches and stuff. Anyway, the point is, Robeski is like exactly the opposite of all these things. He is uh, a complete tank. Yeah. He looks really strong. He hits quite hard, and he's super durable. Um, and seems that like just problem. that <laughs> seems like a problem for Roosevelt Roberts. I gotta be honest. Like, yeah. I it think really this, he could kind of, I think Robeski is a kind of both athlete and, and fighter mentality where like this fight could take a lot of different forms and he would still find a way to win. Yeah. Especially it doesn't help that like for Roberts, he's coming back in on short notice. Yeah. This was supposed to be Nerullo Aliyev. And even if it wasn't like Robeski could be totally out game planned, yeah. but he's not going to stop. No. slinging in huge shots and winning wrestling scrambles and like yeah. he is just a tank yeah and it had to be noted too even as a tank we talked about this in his fight with Loic Radzabov mm-hmm. Rubeski is actually a much more deft puncher than a lot of other tanks true yeah like, he hits the body he puts good combinations together yeah yeah so that was as the a guy between them, as I recall. Rajabov yep. was the very much one and done. All I have is an overhand right. Mm-hmm. And it worked out for Rebeski that he was a, a more subtle and creative puncher than that. Yep. And that that could if if Roberts is going to get backed up and put on the cage, that's going to be a big problem. Yeah. But like I said, I feel like Roberts could even get to pressure and sure. just get yeah. blasted with a takedown or fall into a clinch or just get crushed on the counter. Like I don't even put a lot of stock in Robeski as a counter puncher, but he'll try. Yep. 
and Roberts is going to be there to get countered. He's he is really susceptible to that because he's not really thinking about what's coming back at him when he's trying to kind of flow on people. Yeah. So I, you have to pick Robeski. You really do. Rough return to the UFC for Roosevelt Roberts. Rough rider return for Roosevelt. Yeah. <laughs> rough rough rider return. Roosevelt Robert returns to I don't know. There's something <laughs> some sort of radio, old timey radio thing in there. And now Steely Dan with Peg nineteen. <laughs> 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 all those radio DJs, they all love uh they all love Steely Dan. And they're right. <laughs> Good band. Uh, <laughs> Rebeski is a heavy favorite in any book that has opened up for this fight yet. As he should be. Uh as high as let's see if these odds no, these odds have just opened. High as seven fifty. Wow. Minus seven fifty in some books. Wow. And otherwise as low as six fifty, that's the range. Robert's currently riding plus four hundred to plus four eighty. So feels very rough, but it also doesn't really feel that wrong. Yeah. Well, like I, this just looks like a miserable matchup for Roberts. It does. It's one of those things where you go back over his career and you then realize that like can't really even find him fighting any opponents that look like this. And what no. the ones that did, Jim Miller, Vince Pichel, both beat Robert. They just totally overpowered him, yeah. Yeah, and then the fact that he lost uh, on the Ultimate Fighter return season recently to Austin Hubbard, mm-hmm. who is just kind of like not that overpowering mm-hmm. uh, that, that doesn't signify good, great things no for all the potential you seem to have when i first saw yeah. him just a bunch of little things combined to make him not a particularly effective fighter yep all right that brings us to another lightweight bout nazim sadikov vyacheslav borshov and uh this should be fun this should be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And part of me feels like I have keyed in on like a, a thing here, but part of me also just feel like Borshov's game is so thinly devi- defined that yes. It's really hard to feel like, oh, this is the right kind of matchup for him. You know, like any fight you're looking at, you're like, oh, yeah, Vyacheslav Borshov, he's going to he's going to wreck this dude. And it's like, well, yeah, but what if they do X? Well, he doesn't have an answer for that, but (laughs) but (laughs) it probably won't happen. (laughs) And that is very much how I'm feeling about this. Mm -hmm. Because Nazim Sadikov is uh, physical, powerful, and a pretty deft puncher. But his game is pretty, offensively, is pretty limited to being a puncher. Mm -hmm. 
And you can look at his record and you'd be like, oh, but he's got like, you know, he got a rear naked choke last time out. And he got another one early in his career. And then you actually go look at those. And you look at them in context with his other fights, too. And you realize that Sadakov almost never initiates the grappling or wrestling that started those submissions. Mm -hmm. He really only wants to be out there punching with people. And if you come to him with a grappling game, he will oblige you and actually be pretty good. Mm-hmm. You know, Terrence McKinney is no slouch, although he's completely self-destructive. Yeah. And well, after Terrence McKinney totally outgrappled him in the first round. He did t- totally outgrapple him in the first round, and then he tried it again and just immediately got reversed. Yeah. And um, so with Borshov, like, I look at Borshov and I'm like, yeah, he's not a great wrestler or grappler, and he could easily get tangled up with Sadikov in a way that gets his back taken and gets him choked. Mm-hmm. Borshov has that, you know, long, skinny neck that seems like it's just begging to be rear naked choked at some point in his career. It's kind of amazing, honestly, at this point, that he's not already lost via rear naked choke. <laughs> it really is. Um. But he's also just a much more comprehensive three-level kickboxer than Sadikov. You know, we this was the big difference in his fight with Mahashate was that Borshov started, he started the knockout that won him that fight against Mahashate mm-hmm. by breaking down his legs. Mm-hmm. Just going out there and kicking out Mahashate's base getting him thinking about that, starting to dig to the body, getting him thinking about that, and then that opened uh, opened up the headshot that knocked him out. And I don't really feel like Sadikov is that dude. Sadikov is a decent pressuring puncher and can counter, but it's a very kind of tracked into one idea kind of puncher. So, I'm going to take Borshov, but it really is just one of those things where it's like, I don't think this guy is going to have do have the right fight to win, but mm-hmm. a lot of people could have the right fight to beat Borshov. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it would really take a massive adjustment or uh, it would be like way out of his wheelhouse in the game planning. No. To be like, hey, let's uh, hit this dude with takedowns. Yeah. Right. Um, it's just such a huge liability for Borshov. Uh, truly the weirdest team alpha male fighter. Yeah. No there is, I can't think of a single other, literally not one team alpha male fighter for whom you can say, man, if only they had takedown defense. It, was, <laughs> it used to be, uh, oh, who was the, the Japanese fighter who was all about bitches? Oh, uh, um, yeah. Is it uh, Taka something? T A K. 
Yeah, let me see. I'll I'll just search Team Alpha Male <laughs> Bitches Japanese Bitches. Let's see what that gets me. <laughs> I can't believe how bad I'm blanking on every name today. Sometimes I'm right on it. It, it, it literally brought up Wikipedia Teruto Ishihara. There it is. Okay. <laughs> Simple. If that search, was Brazilian wine bitches. Yeah. You you know who you'll find with that search as well. But you got to misspell bitches. Yeah. No E. You But guaranteed you're getting Paulo Costa. Yep. Um, yeah, but it is strange. I mean, even Ishihara, I think, was maybe not as just straight up easy to take down <laughs> as Borshov. It's very strange. It's just it's not something you expect to if that's a trait, you don't expect it to last long if you're training in the wrestling room. It's like the only thing they do well consistently. Mm-hmm. Their fighters are really well conditioned, really well supplemented. <laughs> and uh and they do a ton of just rolling and, and wrestling. Yeah, I mean, even even if they even if they didn't think it was good for MMA, that 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 camp is so uh, into homosocial dude bonding that mm. they would want to be wrestling around anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. It could well be like a, it could just be a club. With mm-hmm. No professional fighters. They would still be wrestling and they'd all be pretty good at it because as a result. Yep. Um, so I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but um, I'm kind of feeling your pick on this one because, well, I don't know. Sadikov's a Sarah Longo guy. He is like he will get better, for, but like for sure they're gonna have him wrestle, right? But you still gotta you gotta remember that like you know the, they they will have a, they, I don't know like Sarah Longo will still throw they have a fight like they they do a good job developing their fighters over the long run, mm-hmm. but they will still throw some like. Stuff in that just never seems to change for some of their guys. Like it just doesn't. It doesn't. Their their brand doesn't always work out. Like Ally Quinta, he got a long way in the UFC, but at the same time, like there were just fundamental things that he could never enjoy about MMA, mm-hmm. and just stayed broken forever. And I just feel like. If Sadikov isn't out, like I don't, I don't ever see him out there shooting takedowns on people. No, it's true. And if he's not doing that, I just think it's just it's not something that he wants. He's just in there against a more varied striker, and particularly, uh, not just more varied, but particularly better at breaking opponents down. Yeah, better at pulling ahead over the course of the fight with the low kicks and with the body shots. Yeah. I mean, you can pick against me. It's it's very fair. It just seems like such an obvious thing. But if you've never done it before, I mean, usually I will then side with what have I seen in the past. If it's a surprise, it'll be an ob- if if it happens, it'll be an obvious kind of surprise. Yeah. Like, oh, good for Sadikov. He like picked up on the path of least resistance here. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's usually the one getting out wrestled initially. Yeah. Um. So okay. Yeah. Whatever. I'll take Borshov too. Uh, Sadikov opened at minus 147, is currently minus 120, and Borshov opened at plus 132, is currently at plus 108. So those odds skewing toward dead even. 
All right, that brings us to a lightweight bout. Jared Gordon, Mark O. Madsen. I like and, this one. Yeah, this is solid. This is um, feels like the right fight for where both men are right now. Mm-hmm. Which is mostly to say, like, I, I actually, well, I think Gordon is probably just running up, running up on the realistic limitations of his athleticism. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whereas Madsen is running up on the realistic limitations of not starting MMA until you're 35. Right, yeah. Um, For all that, I mean, I, I think Jared Gordon, much like a teammate and best bud, Bilal Muhammad, mm-hmm. is not only a smart fighter and, and generally takes a good approach and prepares well for his opponents, but has also just sort of quietly kept getting better. Yeah, I definitely think so. That's why I think it's it's a physicality thing that he's running up against. Yeah, but he is compensating in the right way. Like his mm-hmm. technical skill set just continues to improve, particularly his striking. Yep. Um, I got to say, like, I get pretty, pretty damn high marks to a guy for effectively outstriking Bobby Green. Yeah, up I mean, that was... to the point where he got KO'd with a clash of heads. But he was that... literally, like, beating Bobby Green in the exchanges and countering him, like... That played a factor into why I felt like Bobby Green might not beat Grant Dawson, which in yeah. retrospect was incredibly wrong. Yeah. Not because yes. I thought, oh, Grant Dawson can go out there and out and box with Bobby Green, but just because I felt like Bobby Green was getting more predictable. Yeah. Whereas my feeling on that fight was pure hatred. Yeah. And willing Grant Dawson to lose. And it turns out my powers aren't gone yet. Right. But uh, Jared Gordon really impressed me in that fight, and he really has like been impressing me with his striking since. Uh, I want to say which fight was it? Probably since his fight with. Chris I know at least Fishgold, it was maybe Chavez, if not Chris Fishgold. The Chavez fight was the real breakout. Actually, it was even the uh, the Joaquim Silva fight. Hmm. Where he lost, he ultimately yeah. got KO, but he was hanging in there really well, putting good combinations together and a lot of pressure. Um, but now he has interestingly become somebody who doesn't even really need to be pressuring to be effectively striking. He was out there hitting Patty Pimblet with every single counter left hook he threw. It was almost just comically the the actual the physicality of Patty Pimblet was the only equalizing factor in that fight. Yeah. The fact that Jared Gordon clearly did not enjoy like uh, just having to deal with his size. Um, and for that reason, probably didn't put enough of a stamp on it, though. He definitely still deserved the decision. Um, the question is because usually the downfall for Gordon is either the person's a really big puncher. Um, or they can just continually out wrestle him. Yeah. And if you're not like a great positional grappler, if you're not a great mat wrestler, then you will actually, I think, have trouble keeping Jared Gordon down. Mm-hmm. But you you are going to get takedowns on him if you go for them. His first, he is like the opposite of a, a Sergey Pavlovich. His yeah. first layer takedown defense is considerably worse than his scrambling and mat wrestling. It's true. It's true. Um. So the question for me is like, is Mark Madsen enough of a wrestler? 
Yeah, he, I mean, that's the kind of thing with Madsen is that he's not actually all that great at holding people down. That is a problem. He is, uh, let me see, Mark Madsen. I'll find it here in a sec. His UFC career, like, I guess Daniel Beluardo, mm-hmm. he held him down. Well, I guess that fight didn't probably last that long. No, it didn't. Never mind. Yeah, uh, he, get, he gets plenty of takedowns. He, when he gets plenty of takedowns, but yeah, he often doesn't amass that much control. Even in a fight like his one with Austin Hubbard, eight minutes of control time is not that great when stacked up against eight, eight takedowns. takedowns. Yeah, uh, eight of twelve attempts, even. Yeah. Um. And so he it didn't is a it, control Clay Guida at all. He didn't even try. I mean. Yeah. That was that was a fight where he was very clearly really working on his boxing, and it didn't even appear to cross his mind <laughs> to to go for uh, to go for takedowns. I, maybe he didn't want to yeah. because it's Clay Guida. He, he did just, control Vince Michelle very well well in the last round of their fight. Yeah, well enough. Um, But I don't know. I mean, I I think Jared Gordon is definitely capable of making Mark Madsen really uncomfortable on the feet. Yeah, no, he unquestionably is. Madsen has the power to hit him, but is not a comfortable striker. It is very much like bullying forward on hope that I can hit you hard enough and put enough of a scare into you that you can't fight back. Because if you start fighting back, I'm going to have a lot of problems. Yeah, and he was genuinely struggling really hard with Vince Pichel, who admittedly I think is more physically imposing than Jared Gordon, but yeah, also was like not exactly making the best striking decisions. No. Was just willing to get into the pocket and throw hard shots at Mark Madsen. And Jared Gordon's a far more considered and technical striker than Vince Pichel. He is. He has a jab. He puts combinations together. He's got a good left hook. He can hit the body. He can counter. I'm kind of leaning Jared Gordon here. I think if he can take the right approach to Mark Madsen on the feet, then uh, the couple takedowns that he will doubtless give up are not actually going to be enough for him to lose the rounds. Yeah, it it is tough. It's just one of those. It's one of those things where like I feel quite sure that Jared Gordon is going to start out losing this fight could be and then it's just a question of when and where does he stop losing it for me you know because madsen like he can prevent present a really strong first blush where he comes out and he sits down on a big shot he hits hard he can hit a big power double early Mm -hmm. and he will make the first moves that put his opponent in defensive mode and then they have to battle out of that. And there's not a lot, like I say, he's not a great ground and pound striker. He's not a great grappler. So it's hard for him. His t- his control when he does have it is not damaging. Yeah. And it is not uh, he, against better and better fighters. It, it gets harder and harder for him to keep control because they just know, well, if I just keep making him scramble, he's not going to. He's, there's not going to be a point where he submits me. So exactly. What's... You can really get away with doing all the stuff that should be, a, a, a you know, still often beneficial, but a, a big risk. Yeah. In MMA, giving up your neck, giving up your back. Just I'm going to get back to my feet no matter what. 
I think that is the kind of scrambler Jared Gordon is. Yeah, it might be. I will I will go with you and pick Jared Gordon as well. Um there's a chance that he's just not physically yeah gonna keep up in this fight, but mm-hmm. it also feels like, you know, Madsen the MMA experiment was fun, but he, people know what to expect now and he's just about forty and the wheels are gonna run off of that train. Yeah, so. but he's 40 as a a good lifelong athlete, <laughs> which is still going to mean he's probably going to be better physically. Yeah, it's true. Jared Gordon, he's probably going to be stronger and faster and harder hitting. Yeah, it's it's all true. Uh, Mark Madsen is the underdog here. Opened at plus 173, got down as low as plus 147, but it's all the way back up to plus 173. Jared Gordon opened at minus 195, got up as high as minus 165, but it's all the way back down at minus 195. So those odds are skewing apart in Gordon's favor. That sounds right, but not too wide. Definitely not too wide. All right. Now an actually really legit difficult fight to call. Mm -hmm. This one. John Castaneda. Hmm? Yeah. I was going to say, obviously, I really like this one. Yeah. No, Big I know you're, these guys. you're slavering over this one. <laughs> John Castaneda, Kyung Ho Kong. And, uh, yeah, the the insanely underrated fight of the card. Honestly. Two guys that nobody cares about but you and me. <laughs> but how could they not? For for Kyung Ho Kong, it's just the the fact that his MMA career has been so start stop start stop start stop start stop. Yeah, like this dude has been in the UFC for a decade. Just in the UFC, he's been fighting for 16 years, and he is way down on the early prelims, even off of two straight victories for this card. Because he fought once in 2021 and once in 2022 and once in 2023. So he had a second fight in 2023, actually. And he had a nice run in 2019 where he won three three fights in a row. And then he didn't fight for a year. But he's so in, interesting. In fact, didn't fight. Yeah, didn't fight for uh, almost two years. And... He, you know, he had four years after he made his debut in 2013, fought four times, and then didn't fight for four years. So mm-hmm. it's just literally not, not enough to grab onto. Yeah. And then, you know, Sexy Mexi people just, they they haven't gotten enough time to know him yet. He's had a, he's also had been around for a while, but he just got to the UFC in 2020 and has had five fights and, you know, win some, lose some. Nothing high profile yet. Mm-hmm. Both a ton of fun, though. Um, a ton of fun. Yeah, I guess it's me, for, for me to talk about, which sucks because I don't really know how to pick this. Um, yeah. There's a kind of fighter that, like, Castaneda's big thing is, he is a 
he's kind of, he's kind of a brawler who works by countering in combination. You know, like he's a brawler who doesn't initiate, basically. Mm-hmm. So he he'll put out the occasional strike or whatever. If you're just gonna leave everything open, he won't do nothing. But really, what he's doing is he's waiting in the pocket for you to step in on something, and then he'll throw three punches back. And if that touches off a prolonged exchange, he'll stick with it. The problem for him has been fighters who take the lead in combination. You know, when it's Muin Gafarov or... Uh, well, Muin Gafarov, that fight was actually a fight that he almost lost. But mm-hmm. when it's Miles Johns and Eddie Wineland going out there and just looking to, like, throw one shot at a time, then it's really easy for Castaneda to start taking over the driver's seat. Because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, you throw one shot at me, I'll come back with three. And what are you going to throw one back? I'll be back with another three. But we, ha- you know, when he was against out there with Nathaniel Wood, who was just like, well, I'm going to step in and throw three. And then I'm going to throw another three. And then I'm going to throw another three. And what are you going to do? It was just, he's just going to be behind and be, be in second place over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And with Santos, it was, you know, a much less uh, technical much less decisive or much less, uh, you know, incisive game plan from Santos, but kind of a, a bigger show of what the flaw is for, for Castaneda. The Santos is just like, well, what if I just don't quit? What if I just keep pouring in the gas, whatever it is, then, you know, Santos is still always trying to play catch up and it doesn't really necessarily matter how well considered your strikes are Mm -hmm. if you're just pouring it on him all the time. Um, and like the Gafarov fight was kind of looking like that too, but then Gafarov, uh, a lost a point for leading with his head the whole goddamn time. And B just got hurt really bad. Like, he yeah. he couldn't take the shots he was running himself into. But he still had large moments of success in that fight just by throwing a lot of stuff at, at Castaneda. Yeah, and just physically overpowering him. Yeah. Kyung Ho Kong is not that dude. I mean, it does seem possible that he could physically overpower Castaneda. Yeah, he could. Kyung Ho Kong is a is a pretty good athlete and yeah. a very dynamic takedown artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about this before. Sometimes he just doesn't care to do that. Yeah, and Castaneda, <laughs> you know, he's a he's a hard dude to out wrestle. Sure, he will scramble like mad and make those kinds of fights really difficult. So it may be something that he could convince Kyung Ho Kong not to do as well, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, it also, is just something that Kyung Ho Kong, like he just doesn't always do. He could be a very controlling grappler if he wanted to, but he doesn't always want to. 
And otherwise, he is not a just pour it on striker. No, at all. So he much is... so that the so much so that the stress of being in a position where pouring it on would have decisively won him the fight. Um, it was it was too stressful for him for him to do it, and so he ended up losing to Ronnie Aya. Yeah, because the clear way to win was to <laughs> just pile on the strikes and continue winning. In yeah. that one, he had to have the wrestling as a reprieve. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, he's but when he's um when he's in a more like uh, kind of a fencing match, he's not a bad striker either. No, he's got he's a got, good, he's got he's a got good a jab, good, good footwork. Jab. Yep, goes to the body. You know, mm-hmm. hits nice one twos. He's he's a good solid fighter. He just does not does not done. push a pace. Yeah. And that makes this a hard fight to pick because you kind of have to wonder, like, how much fencing, technical fencing can Kim Ho Kong do against Castaneda mm-hmm. that might just keep Castaneda at bay? Because it's not like Muin Gafarov, Miles Johns, Eddie Wineland or Marcelo Rojo could do any. You know, mm-hmm. none of these fighters had a fencing option. The the select a strike one and doneness of them was to just want you know throw one big right hand and hope another one didn't come back behind it. Yeah, it's not a it, it's not they're not putting out a technical wall like Kyung Ho Kong is where he he's actually building something you have to fight your way through. Mm-hmm. So we don't really know how well Castaneda does against that. Don't haven't really seen it. Yeah. It's not something that happens a lot on the regionals. Yeah. And we, and we have, uh, we have credited, uh, Castaneda with preparing well. Mm-hmm. Sometimes though, I do question the sort of strategy he cooks up. Mm-hmm. Um, like the fight with Moon Gafarov. Yeah. Like, um, or, even the fight with um, with Miles Johns, I think, like uh, maybe I'm thinking of one with Nathaniel Wood. There, there's fights where it seems like it, there's like an obvious sort of directional decision to make, mm-hmm. and he just doesn't make it. Like uh, I'm pretty sure he came in there against Gafarov and was like back foot. Like, um, am I right, thinking of the right fight or am I confusing it with another one? Yeah, no, I think he was pretty back foot against Gafarov, but Gafarov is also such a bowling ball that... Yeah, of course. But, yeah. like, it, it seemed like one where it's like, boy, it's really risky to let this... Yeah. Just this this hunk of muscle, like, um, barrel after you. Mm-hmm. And he has had a few fights where, uh, for all the credit we give him for game planning, he sort of seems to, like, luck into winning it. He just yeah, finds... I don't know that I've necessarily felt like Castaneda was a game planner so much as I see him as a as a good adjuster. When that, he's getting right. control of the tempo, he yeah. adjusts well. When he's not getting to control the tempo, he doesn't necessarily adjust that well. Yeah, but he will adjust his approach. He comes in look with different looks for different yeah. opponents um, and also adjusts pretty well over the course of the fight. But it doesn't yeah, necessarily- I do wonder... It's it's tough to pick because like he just hasn't fought somebody like Kong, 
But, and it's also tough to know what Kong you're going to get. Yeah. <laughs> what is his approach going to be? I think he will default to being the big, long uh, boxer. You know, if nothing else is available. Yeah. Um, there were certainly stretches of Castaneda's fight with uh, Nathaniel Wood. Where he was just kind of getting boxed up while Wood was while he was trying to pressure Wood. Mm-hmm. Um, seemed to have a lot of difficulty dealing with a jab that did not present any further openings for him to pile on counter combinations. Yeah. <sighs> Has Kong ever actually won that fight, though? Uh, I mean, Kong's fought guys like you know, he, he that fight with Christian Canones and Batchereel Dana and Dana. Yeah, that's a good one. Brandon Davis and uh, you know Guido Canetti. Yeah, he's, he's fought a plenty of dudes who just want to go out there and like throw Come down. Yeah, he's pretty but, good at keeping them at bay. Yeah, he's also just kind of lost weird fights. Like yeah. <laughs> early in his career and like Chico Camus and Ricardo, he, you know, losing to Ricardo Hamos, Hamos is good, but like that one was very, very close, but that was, that was, was one where he kind of paid for not having anything to add yeah. to his smart, sensible, uh, outboxing style, which is that he, 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 I thought he did quite well. I would have not been upset if he'd gotten the decision, but he didn't really do much to separate himself from Hamos either. Yeah. Um, and then there's weird fights like the one with Ronnie Aya, where he just seems to be winning and then makes a bad decision and throws it all away. That's not yeah. something Castaneda tends to do. Uh, I'm I'm tempted to pick Kong though. I am too. I just kind of have the feeling that Castaneda's um not really a, like an assertive enough pressure fighter, uh, and that. While he is hard to out wrestle, it is good that that's an option for Kong to go to to deal with. Yeah. Pressure. Yeah. That he can basically keep you on the end of the reach. And if you do break through that barrier, then you might just get hit with a really quick, well-timed shot. Mm-hmm. Um, or you might just step into the clinch where Kong is a really creative takedown artist as well. Yeah, I'm kind of tempted to pick Kong, but I just you just can't trust him. <laughs> He's such a weird fighter. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to pick Kong. I just I think that the being able to present the 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 wall of offense, the the jabs and the kicks and the threat of the takedown behind it is just going to keep Castaneda at bay. Yeah. Castaneda is just usually not so committed to pressuring that he will do it. No. Like I said, and then Nathaniel Wood fight, there were times when he was pressuring Wood and doing pretty well with it. He just couldn't sustain it. He didn't. Yeah, it's uh, not what he wants to do. He wants to be, like I say, he wants to be in where the in the fight where the opponent wants to go slow, and yeah. he gets to set the speed by picking up their offense and then running with it. Yeah, that's that is the best John Castaneda Castaneda fight. Which might it might be Kang Ho Kong, but. I just think that if he's meeting a jab every time, it won't give him a lot to run with. Yeah, and this is uh, this is uh, compounded by the fact that he will be considerably smaller than Kong. Yeah, he's I think three inches shorter and has a two-inch reach advantage, disadvantage. Yep. So Kong is going to be functionally 
have a jab that is feels like it's three to four inches longer than anything Castaneda can throw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, odds on the fight. Ken Ho Kong is the underdog, opened at plus 121. It's currently plus 117. Castaneda opened at minus 156, currently minus 130. Yeah, this should just be, these odds should be getting closer and closer. There's not a lot to separate these two. It will be a lot of fun, though. I'm interested. Oh, yeah. Fun and weird. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the thing with Kong's fights in particular. There's always just something very interesting about them to mm-hmm. me. I don't know. I just find it very compelling. The least all offense, no defense Korean fighter in UFC history. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. All right. That brings us to a flyweight bout. Joshua Van, Kevin Borjas. And uh, this is going to be an absolute war. Yeah. And speaking of fights where there doesn't seem to be a lot to distinguish. Yeah, uh, a lot to go on picking between the fighters. I mean, if I, I would say that um, certainly the the defining difference between Borjas and, and Van, I think, is volume. Mm. Borjas is a lot more aggressive. Borjas, um, or at least just much more willing to put uh, to put combinations out there. And yeah, keep... mm-hmm. I was going to say he is more aggressive when he is letting his hands go. Yeah. I don't necessarily know if he's more aggressive in just putting out offense at any given time. Yeah. When he fires, it's, it's pretty much always a combination. It's usually a, uh, it is usually a three punch combination. In fact, and he is also extremely vulnerable when he's doing it. Yeah, because, like, Joshua Van threw more than Kevin Borjas in his last fight. He was, yeah, I think he had to, to be honest. Yeah. Um, he but he'll probably pace. have to again. That's true. Yeah, I think that uh, that pace was wrenched out of him by the sheer aggression of Jagas Jumagulov. Uh-huh. Uh, still one of the sort of saddest tales of almost... Really, really good UFC fighter. Um, so yeah, I think you're absolutely right that we we did see an example of Van being pressured and drawn into exchanges, and he was up for the challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's harder hitting than Borjas. I think he's a much better athlete, just in general. Yeah, for sure. He kind of reminds me of uh, who was the? I think he was Hawaiian. Uh, Ka- uh Kai Kamaka. Yeah, Kai Kamaka. He kind of reminds me of Kai Kamaka. Yeah, although to, to Van's credit, um, apparently they were saying against like Juma Gulov or something, like he'd only started really wrestling at all like six months before the fight. I think wow. Joshua Wait, Van. He'd only started training wrestling? Like, I think so. I mean. That's what, that's what they made it sound like. It kind of makes sense looking at some of his regional fights because mm-hmm. there are just long stretches where he is just on his back. Yeah. Uh, granted, I don't think that's going to be much of a factor here. No, but I, I'm usually when saying, I see Borjas wrestling, he is also the one being out wrestled. Yeah. Like, I, I think Van seems like a very 
quick Nat- learner, good athlete. Yeah. Very natural athlete. Yeah. So looks faster, looks like a more intuitive counterpuncher. I just can't get over how um Flores is really willing to put the combinations out there, but man is his chin wide open when he throws, for example, yeah. his left hook. I did see a really nice highlight uh, somebody put together on Twitter of the fact that Borjas is like one of the rare, you know, MMA strikers out there who's actually taking taking advantage of predictable tendencies in rudimentary MMA kickboxing games mm-hmm. and just has like his, 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 his boxing game is all, there's a ton of body punching he of setups he does to open up body punches to the liver side mm-hmm. and just, you know, like there's footage of him from that contender series bout where he stepped in with a right hand faint where he just, you know, pumped that right hand. Like he was going to throw a straight, right, really hard. Mm-hmm. And then the moment his opponent put their hands up to try to, you know, mm-hmm. to, to block it, he just went straight to the liver instead cocking the like the you know the 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 right hand faint and the 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 uh return cocking the left hook to the body Mm -hmm. right in behind it he does a good job of letting his of like getting um getting something in the opponent's eye line yeah set up his body shots he does a good job of sticking his jab out there or sticking his right hand out there and sort of lining up and Mm -hmm. chambering while he's obstructing them yeah i mean i like his combination uh punching offensively but yeah i cannot help but think that if he's against uh, a good athlete who is going to have no choice but to fire on the counter man i just see him losing a, a war of left hooks yeah it, i mean it, uh, it's hard not to feel like his uh his boxing style has been built off of like he's been getting good training to fight bad opponents who do not make him pay for lax defense yeah you know Building off all of his fights, except for one in combate that he lost, have been in Inca FC before the contender series. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, you know, he can step in and make some make some things happen. But, yeah, it's also with that feeling of like, oh, if somebody if your opponents had been harder hitting, maybe you would not be so so free with your willingness to step into the pocket and try yeah. it crank these shots i mean maybe he just has a great chin could be i haven't i haven't i can't really tell yet yeah i mean that we we saw this with another uh peruvian fighter recently at welterweight who fought uh oh man what's his name the ox fighter yeah Chaos Williams. yeah uh was it that fought chaos williams it's weird was, to me that you remembered Chaos Williams' nickname. Yeah, it's just it sticks with me. It's a weird nickname, <laughs> Orlando Bedoya. Yeah, where like we're like our oh, Orlando Bedoya. You know, we picked Williams. Williams won, but the big thing was like Orlando Bedoya is not going to be able to take these shots. Mm-hmm. And then he just did. He took just off. did. And then of course he fought Keenan Song Keenan, and you're like, well, he can take those shots, so he can take these two, and he'll win. This time he'll win, and he just took the shots again, but lost again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I gotta say, I think that this this fight probably feels very different if I am going in expecting 
well, I don't know that different. It's just going to be an even crazier war if I do expect Borjas to be able to eat the shots from what looks like a really natural puncher in Joshua Vance. Yeah, yeah. If he can just eat the shots, then like, okay, we're just going to trade a shitload of left hooks. And probably a lot of Borjas's are going to be to the liver and to the body. And maybe that could be a huge problem. If he's durable enough, he could probably, I don't think Josh Van is uh, that considered Yeah. Uh, with his output. Like we said, no. when it, we've seen it dragged out of him, we've seen him maintain it, but um, it's quite possible Borjas could wear him down. I just, I got to go with my gut and say that. It's flyweight. You got to pick the athlete. Yeah. And Van looks like a great athlete and a great puncher. He's got really big hands for his mm-hmm. size. Um, and I just got to assume he's going to clock Borjas trying to pile on a combination more than is, uh, than is safe. Yep. Van opened at minus 245. He's currently minus 214. Borjas opened at plus 213. He's currently at plus 188. All right, that brings us to our final fight on the card. Dennis Bazooka against Jamal Emmers. Yeah, just kind of a... Oh, my God, I forgot that Dennis's nickname is The Great. Right. Bro, your name is Bazooka. Yeah. It's right there. It is literally, you have your... You had the <laughs> world's easiest nickname set up. Don't even have a nickname, honestly. Yeah. Your name is Dennis Bazooka. Like, that's good. Yeah. Great name. What is wrong with MMA fighters? Why do they? Because I know what it is. I know that there that there is a like fragile male ego behind these nickname choices where they're like, but that's a joke about me. You can't you can't make fun of my name. No. Learn from Rodrigo Nascimento. Learn from Brazil. Yeah. You you hammer you hammer strength through relentless teasing. That is the Brazilian nickname path. Well, but like bazooka wouldn't even be a joke, really. It wouldn't. It wouldn't. <laughs> There's nothing belittling about that. It's cool. Yeah. <sighs> All right, okay. All right. I'm I'm over it. Yeah. Anyway. Bazooka Emmers and uh, this feels like a fight Emmers should just win. Yeah. Like, Bazooka is okay, mm-hmm. but in a very, like, he and Sadikov really just seem interchangeable. Mm. Where it's like, once again, okay, you can step in and you can land some good punches but like, I guess no. I guess Bazooka actually wrestled. He does go for takedowns. He does go for. I was going takedowns. to. I was going to make that point when he fought. At least when he fought Sean Woodson. Yeah. Uh, no, I remember because I, I remember now because I remember the commentary team talking about how Sarah Longo was building him up as a combination of Marab Devajvili and Aljamain Sterling, and it's like, mm-hmm. he, he wait, like the leftover parts. Or like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it's like, he's the, he's like the, the ninth biscuit, (laughs) you know, you make all these great biscuits and then you cut them out of the sheet of dough 
and then you sort of smash the scraps together and you're like this isn't going to rise as good as the other biscuits yeah, yeah. but i'm not going to waste it yeah he's the that, that should be his nickname Dan. The, the, the ninth biscuit bazooka <laughs> the nickname which everybody will get but yeah just not a great wrestler not a really impressive grappler and uh, otherwise just kind of willing to wade in and trade punches yeah and jamal emmers is not a big hitter but he is a really pretty deft fighter everywhere so it just seems like a, a chance for emmers to get a veteran win mm-hmm. you know yeah i kind of agree i think bazooka just seems i mean i think he, he does it doesn't look like he doesn't have any potential no no but it doesn't really look like he has an a game either and he's not he doesn't have enough experience for it to feel like the kind of fight where you know, against somebody like Emmers, where he can just go out and have a well-rounded but not that deep game, yeah, and just take three rounds through hard work. Mm-hmm. It was really Jack Jenkins having such a specific, uh, you know, pointed striking game that squeaked him out of a uh, in a win over Emmers that he might not really have deserved. Yeah, and Pat Sabatini. Being able to dive on a heel hook after getting stung, and you know Giga Chikadze being a, a another striking specialist who could really make Emmers pay for not being that powerful, and even then, like Giga Chikadze barely scraped out of that fight. Yeah, that is an interesting thing about Emmers. He's sort of a generalist who beats other generalists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he he's a wrestler who has spent his entire MMA career trying to become a boxer, mm-hmm. and he's actually a pretty decent one at this point, mm-hmm. but he just doesn't have any power, so he ends up having to be a competitive one. Then occasionally he pulls the wrestling out, and you're like, oh, you can do that pretty well too. Mm-hmm. Like, why don't you do more of that? Because he yeah. doesn't want to. And even if it's just purely defensive wrestling, this does feel like a fight where he could probably outbox Bazooka. Yeah. So. Just, yeah, I I don't know how well Bazooka's striking game works without his, his him being willing to crash into the clinch and wrestle. Yeah. And if Sean Woodson's defensive wrestling is enough to just basically make that a non-issue. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying Sean Woodson's not the easiest guy to take down. Uh, but easier than Emmer's. Yeah, I think so. And easier to just collapse against the cage in the first place than Emmers. Yeah. One of Woodson's major flaws is that he just lets himself get backed up. Yeah, Emmers has been taken down twice in the UFC. One by Jack Jenkins, shockingly, uh, for 10 seconds of control time. And once by... Oh, wait, no, no, no. Not twice, just the once. That's it. Okay, yep. And that includes fights with Hussein Askabov, Pat Sabatini, yep, and uh, well, an early loss to Julian Arosa. But anyway, he's got a ninety percent takedown defense. Mm-hmm. So 
Yeah, I'm just going to go with uh, with Emmers. I, I don't think Bazooka presents anything deep enough to make me feel like he can take Emmers off of his game, which is just sharper. Mm-hmm. Odds on the fight, Emmers opened at minus 248, and oh, it opened at minus 326, rather, and is at minus 247. Uh, Bazooka opened at plus 274, it's currently at plus 214. I think Emmers is just really underrated. I mean, I realize he's the favorite here, but for those lines to be like going against him, I think it's just a lot of people underrating his his ability. Mm-hmm. He's just one of those fighters who's quietly good, so nobody's really going to be paying attention. Yeah, he is also one of your guys. So when he, he does when he does just start losing all his fights, I'm going to have to remember to saddle you. This is a trouble, you know. I'm I'm just not as fundamentally vindictive as you, Zane. <laughs> I think you're just your memory's worse. I think that's <laughs> that might be it, but it maybe it requires a great memory to be a vindictive little shit like you are. <laughs> you know, I, so when, yeah, I think you're really getting by, getting by your lack of vindictiveness right now. I think that's really coming through <laughs> to just be a spiteful little worm, you know, like <laughs> like you. So. <laughs> <laughs> so that will be the only thing that saves you when Jamal ever Emmers inevitably just starts to lose every single fight. Yeah. And, and I don't rub your nose in it. Like the naughty uh-huh. little hound you are. <laughs> you disgust me. <sighs> if only I were more vindictive. If only. All right. On that note, we're going to wrap it up. We'll be right back with just a tiny bit of bonus content, but I got to run honestly. So not much. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.